When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is the Talking Tactics Podcast. My name's Daniel. I'm Colin. We do the podcast every Tuesday. At least we record it then. You guys may be here at Wednesday. Um, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all at Talking Tactics. Um, I'm at Daniel to look. Carl, where can people find you if you want to be found? You can find my writing over on The Athletic. Indeed, Have Hope is at havehopefootballhut.com. I don't know where he is. You know what? I wouldn't be surprised if he's gone to watch Flowers, Killers of the Flower Moon. I wouldn't be surprised. Is is what is 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 that the name of the film? Killers of the Flower Moon. Yep. Killers of the Flower. Moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the next movie I'm gonna watch is Napoleon. I don't know where. Um, I'm very excited for Napoleon as well. But that's the next. I don't know if I want to watch that movie, Killers of the Flower Moon. It looks kind of. Mm. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's tremendous. It's tremendous, my friend. I really think you should watch it. Right. Um. Any announcements that we have? Do you have anything coming out, like a piece that people should know about? Uh, so we are talking on Tuesday. I'm My next piece will probably come out on Thursday, and it'll be about Ajax. And, oh. um, yeah, I'll be I'll be off to Manchester United versus Fulham on Saturday, and I'll also be at Copenhagen versus Ajax. So I'll be in Denmark next week. I watched the PSV game. Mm. Very bad. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm watching the highlights again now for for the piece I'm writing. Uh, so there we are. I'm I'm writing down things that we should talk about. So I need to put that down. Um, announcements. We are releasing another Talking Tactics documentary. This one is one that meant a lot to me. It was a labor of love. It should have been released on a different platform, but that fell through in a very nasty way. At least to me, I don't think they even think about it. But um, yeah, it's going to be called Written in the Stars. And it's going to be about Chelsea's 2012 Champions League victory. We've got some fun guests. Carl would know Nick Miller. He would Nick know Mill's amazing. Rowan West Henry. Yep. Obviously have hopes there. I got Toby Eilshaffel. Toby I'm going to kill that guy's name. He's like Sport Builds, Bayern guy. Mark Worrell's on it. Nini FC, who's been on the, this podcast many times, um, Nini's great. He's on it, so yeah, and like a lot of them were in the stadium at the time for the final. Wow, so, yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. If I do say so myself, even as somebody who made it, so that's going to drop November twenty. So yeah, that's something to look forward to. I'll plug it every week until it drops. So look forward to you guys hearing it. Where's the place to start? I'm sure Let's something start. I have written down. You'll say, but where do you want to start? Can we start with the Ballon d'Or? I didn't watch. Did you watch? <laughs> no, I didn't watch. I didn't watch. I'm just, I'm just looking at the results now as, as the post in front of me. I haven't been on the podcast in a while because Manchester United keep me very, very busy. But I thought, mm. have hope, we'll have some very, very strong opinions on the Ballon d'Or list. <laughs> so let me, let me pop in and hear what he says. And lo and behold, have hope has so many opinions on it that he's actually had to go take a lie down. Do you know what? Yeah, I was going to say, part of the reason he's not here is because I think he did a three-hour live stream last night into the early morning about the Ballon d'Or. 
on his on his channel debating Messi's greatness and all of that. So shout out to HH. But um yeah, I don't care. I haven't cared <laughs> in so long. I always had a, a problem with the format that it uh-huh. was a calendar year instead of a season. Yep. Now it's become more of a season, but still it doesn't quite add up. So Messi's season was worthy of the Ballon d'Or or was it just because the World Cup happened in the season? I, I think I think Ballon d'Ors in World Cup years are very different from Ballon d'Ors in a conventional European football season. There's also the argument that <clears throat> the Ballon, I think when you said it was about a calendar year, that kind of helped if you weren't playing in Europe. Although over the years, obviously more and more talent gravitated towards Europe. So therefore it, it became more of a competition about the European calendar. Um, I found it very funny that the MLS was congratulations to Lionel Messi, the first MLS player to win the Ballon d'Or. I was like, aww, <laughs> you enjoy that. You sure did, MLS. Well done. Good for you. What did he um, win? He won a league league pass. What did he win? He league? won the leagues. He won the leagues cup. Oh, <laughs> which is one of the domestic. One of the domestic cup competitions uh, in North American football. Hold on, um, hold on. It was a competition that I, I didn't know existed until Messi won it, which League shows cup founded twenty nineteen. Yeah, we we don't respect this thing. Who's we? Me. Okay, <laughs> but just more me's. I I didn't know I didn't know it existed, and I, I remember tweeting after Messi won it, saying one thing: what the Messi effect in America is. I've got a greater appreciation for the non MLS competitions now because everyone, you know, ESPN has been talking about Messi, 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 Messi. So I'm like, oh, that's what that competition is, and that gives you qualifications to this one and this one and this one. So, and I will say, I did used to care about the Ballon d'Or a little bit. You know, when it was the FIFA Ballon d'Or, so that that little time period where FIFA, the FIFA Best Award merged with the Ballon d'Or. I cared about Mm. a lot. But also now, as my knees start clicking more, my hair goes grey, and I've seen the same argument over and over and over and over and over and again. I've got grey hair. Wow! My temples are greying, and I've got grey hair in my beard. What stress were you in as a child? I, I, don't answer don't answer there you go there you go there you go um so uh, i can't yeah, wait now, to go great but now, go now i've reached go this age i i was saying this to someone who so i went oh congrats to messi and then someone like jumped in my instagram dms going i think this this year is a bit of a farce and i went mate i don't care <laughs> i said I, tr- I treat the i treat the ballon d'or like i treat the employee of the month award in that it's nice when someone I like wins it, but if someone I don't, someone I don't really care about wins it, eh, whatever. The, right? the only thing um, I was excited to see when I, I I went to send the link just now, and I went through, I typed in Ballon d'Or just to see if I there was anything interesting that happened, and apparently Hazard gave an award to Jude Bellingham, and then Drogba and Hazard linked up. For maybe the last time, who knows? I don't. I don't know. I hope that's a bit morbid. Um, for like something to make Chelsea fans happy, to just tickle some nostalgia of Drogba and Hazard together again. So that was nice to see. Um, at least in I quite form. enjoyed how 
calm and relaxed Hazard was at the at the award as well. They asked him if he missed playing football. He goes, no, nah, not really. He goes, it's only been a month, but when I start missing football, I'll be worried. But for now, I'm just enjoying being at home with my kids. Uh, and they said, well, he said, I'm only really here because my kids asked me to. So he's just, he's chill. He's enjoying life. Mm. Mm. So the good Lionel, Messi won the Ballon, Lionel Messi won Ballon d'Or. Haaland came second. Uh, Mbappe came fourth, I want to say. Let me actually get this thing up <laughs> before I make a fool of myself. I know he was fourth in 2018. There we go. I remember that. Mbappe came third. Sorry. Mm. So Messi won. That's his eighth Ballon d'Or. He has three more than the closest Ballon d'Or winner, which is Cristiano Ronaldo with five. Um, Haaland won a the award for the best striker, uh, yeah. and Jude Bellingham won the Copper Award, which is the award for the best young player. Uh, Alicia Bonmati won the Women's Ballon d'Or, the Barcelona and Spain midfielder who was she's cold. She's, she's cold. She's next level good. <laughs> um, like she was really good at the World Cup. Um, so okay, that's you know, the okay. Door. Carl, I don't care about the Ballon d'Or. I don't care. I don't okay. care. Let's okay. talk, okay. About, talk about what you're about. Let's use the Ballon d'Or, though, that thing you just mentioned. What is it? Copa Award? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Jude Bellingham. That's more fun. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> like everyone who watches football and cares about world football, I woke up quite early on Saturday, I think, so I could catch all the coverage. Game kicked off at like 10. Actually, Chelsea played, didn't they? Chelsea must have played on on Saturday morning. <laughs> Look at you I pretending that. that they didn't play. <laughs> I watched that. That was really bad. And then it was Brentford. They lost to Brentford, two <laughs> 0 <laughs> It's all coming back to me. So I was just like, let's actually let's watch real football now. So let's turn on El Clasico. So that's what we did. Gundogan scored in the first six seven minutes. Real Madrid didn't look great really. Mm. And then second half, Jude Bellingham does what he's done all season, which is kind of not score goals from nowhere because they're not from nowhere, but just pops up with timely moments. Um, and he did it. He scored the equalizer, great finish, power strike. I don't know how, how you would say. Um, and I think, what's it? Injury time. Some A ball gets looped into Madrid. Madrid somehow touches it. I don't think he means to do this. It loops over the defender. Right place, right time, as he seems to be every week. Jude Bellingham there to put it between Ter Stegen's legs. 2-1, they win the Classico away. Um, as someone who's probably more, has more knowledge about Bellingham than me, certainly me, at least from like his time at uh, Birmingham, Birmingham City and probably had to pay attention to him with Dortmund with the national team. How are you kind of interpreting the Jude Bellingham-ness that we're going through right now? Because it seems... One, it seems unsustainable to score 13 goals in 13 games for a central midfielder. But, um, And this isn't his reputation either. But um, how are you kind of interpreting and digesting all of this? It's joyous. It's delightful. Right? I, I'm, I'm, I, said, I tweeted this this morning. I'm watching this like a proud uncle going, look, at, he's a man now. He's, he's phenomenal. He's tremendous. He is playing at the top of this... 4-4-2 diamond that Ancelotti's playing. But what really happens is, is the, the 
the front two, you know, Rodrigo and Vinicius Junior, they split and then Bellingham pops up for these late arrivals in the box. And he's basically, he's basically the striker in a 4-3-3 because he just, but he just drives from these deeper positions. And you're right. Real Madrid were not good in that Clasico. Gavi is, did a real number on Bellingham and, and Bellingham was barely getting a sniff, but for some reason, whatever, I, I don't know what he's putting in his water bottle. I don't know <laughs> what scriptwriter's in charge of this. I don't know what Tebas and uh, Flo Perez are doing behind the scenes. But everything Jude Bellingham touches right now turns to gold. And that goal, the first one, is phenomenal. You could hit that ball a hundred times and I don't think he'd score that more than 10 again. And that's a compliment in that most people would perhaps only score that one more time, but I think Bellingham could score a couple more. And and it goes in. I didn't in. know he had that though. I didn't know he had like the the power shot. I didn't know he had that one. Because yep. all, all of these have been perfect run into the box, latching on to either a goalkeeper spill or like a one-two. Like there, there hasn't been any sign, at least at Madrid. I don't know the type of goals he scored for England and Dortmund and Birmingham. But um there hasn't been any sign that oh I can hit thirty yarders too. No, but, but when, there he goes. when you are in when you're in good form like this, why not? And I've, I've said this before that every now and again there is a there's like a level of confidence a football player gets where they basically unlock first touch or, or like a hyped up first touch where they go it's like can, pro clubs. Yeah, right. You, you know, it used to be <laughs> they would be. You, and I'm sure we've all had this where for some reason it all clicks and you just start playing out your mind where normally it takes you four touches to control the ball, but now it's only taking two. And, and Bellingham is in this fantastic realm. You, you also have the opposite where you're playing terribly and it, takes you, it normally takes you two touches to control the ball and it's going to take, start taking you six. Um, and yeah, you know, that goes in. And then the second, the second chance, he's, I mean, he's sniffing these things out like a veteran number nine. He's playing like Benzema did. And I'm talking late twenties, early thirties, Benzema. This is what Bellingham is doing, and he let's be really real. He wasn't having a great game. Gavi really got into him, um, but he scored twice. And what I really liked is after the, I think it was after the first goal. There's a little bit where Rudiger sort of slaps him and goes again, again, do the celebration again. <laughs> because are you not entertained? He's <laughs> he's tremendous. He Look, will. at some point, yeah. at some yeah. point, his goal scoring form is going to cool off, right? The we all talk about XG samples and blah 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 blah, and it will tail off. But for now, Jude Bellingham is playing like one of the best football players on the planet, and he's doing it as a midfielder slash striker. At some point in time, Real Madrid will go out and buy a striker for loads of money, and Bellingham will play more like an attacking midfielder. But I mean, tremendous, tremendous. Two things. Number one, he needs a better celebration than just holding his arms out. I don't like it. Let's come up with something better. I don't know what, but it's stupid. I don't like would you, it. It's not, would you it's like, not stupid. It's would you just like to hear lazy. a theory? Would you like to hear a theory? Sure. I think that a number of our a number of goal celebrations now from players are being kept deliberately simple because they can be more easily copied from more easily copied by children and therefore help play into building your brand. Right. Hmm. So you, if you, no one's going to be able to do the multiple backflips of Obafemi Martins, 
but <laughs> simply pointing to your temple like Marcus Rashford did. Very, very effective. Now you playing the new EF, EAFC game or however you want to call it. When Rashford scores, he does that. That took a season to become that's a thing. The, it was the sun thing with the camera and the triangle. Th- I think, yeah. you know, yeah. what I mean? if just yeah. you, if you have a really simple, if you make a goal celebration simple enough that a child can replicate it, you will become, it will spread a lot easier. You know, Cristiano Ronaldo didn't score too many goals in his final season at Manchester United, but that old man falling asleep celebration has gone triple platinum. But, so, but come on, like, see, like that one, I mean, that, was yeah. good. that was good. That was good. But see, that's fun. So the interesting that's, is- that's like, that's motion. And it, well, that's, that's a complete tangent. Let me not. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's a fun celebration. That's an iconic celebration. Like you, you jump, you turn in the air and you go like with your arms down. Like that's fun. Just standing there with your arms out, like, hey, like it's me. Like I feel like he it lets me know that I think he's even doing things that he's not expecting. It's a celebration <laughs> of somebody who's like, Am I really doing this? So what I really like about the celebration is the very slow, almost tiptoe before he puts his arms out. So he doesn't run and do it. He sort of like slows down and he's like one, two, three, four. Five, boom. six. Yeah. yeah, one, two, three, or five, six. And I'm like, yeah, it's a very, are you not entertained? Look, I've been doing that at home. And I'm sure if I was a school teacher and I was watching the playground football at lunchtime, that there'd be four or five kids doing it already. Like, Bellingham's a superstar. Good for him. This is, Mudrick did that after his fake cross shot. The, he are you stood not there with his arms out. Yeah, but he didn't mean it. <laughs> So that's the, that's the my kind of also Wayne Rooney the 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 bicycle kick yep after, uh, against City where the ball came really off his shin um <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it was a great goal he did I, the same I'm not thing argue. I'm not gonna argue I think people no, do Rooney's that one, one was different Rooney's one was different because he turned his back to the crowd and he did it very much okay. as like, embrace me and that's when true, Nani goes true, to hug him true. whereas Jude's one is very much to the crowd and very much. Are you not entertained? I just, I, I think your theory it, might have some weight. It's interesting to to consider anyway. Um, even the, like the the Lukaku one, I don't like the one where he like he hushes and salutes. Yeah, I don't get that, that one. That's too many ingredients for me. Yeah, dude, your it's too it's too much hand and face. But <laughs> either way, I think this is interesting. For I'll I'll, I'll take your tactical point. Does what Ancelotti or is what Ancelotti is doing with Vinicius and Rodrigo? Obviously, it facilitates goals for Jude Bellingham. That's clear. Mm-hmm. But the manner in which Vinicius and Rodrigo are being deployed diminishes what they're capable of doing because maybe just it's 13 games into the season, 14 games into the season. Maybe they haven't had enough time to really gel and figure out their positions, but. They've been used to playing, especially Vinicius, with a number nine, a focal point, Benzema. Mm. You could, <laughs> for three, four years, you could see Benzema kind of teaching and giving Vinicius information, almost like a cheat sheet. Like, put the ball here, run here, you do this. Like, he was very frustrated with the first two, three seasons. And then Vinicius, or the, maybe the first season or two. And then it clicked for Vinicius. And you could see him playing with with with, with Benzema. Their link-up was really good. They had a just a, a good understanding. But once you remove that focal point, Vinicius is kind of left 
on his own. And I don't think that's good for his game. And if these goals dry up for Bellingham, maybe they won't. Maybe the way that they play, it will just facilitate some sort of number nine, like false nine, attacking eight, whatever the numbers are, um, to score goals for the for the breadth of the season. But I would think this is unsustainable. Mm-hmm. And it's not as if they're winning 5-0, 4-0, 3-1, Like, they're not winning big. He's getting these goals late in games. There's a... <laughs> Without those goals, there's a story of Real Madrid being sixth in the table, fifth in the table, fourth in the table, because the points that he's won them have been numerous. If that isn't sustainable in in the same way, they need to figure out how to get the best from Vinicius without just by a striker. There has to be another way to do this. Maybe that diminishes Bellingham's output, but I think it could make their team better. Now, when you're Real Madrid... Just buy another striker. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. And if this was any other football club, I'd agree with you. But when you are Real Madrid, you know what the plan is. They're just going to buy a striker. But who? Like this season? Like Osimhen is really the only striker this season, out there. No idea. No idea. No idea this season. I, you know, I'm not. I'm, when I say this season, I'm talking about the summer. I've, I can't see Real Madrid. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't million. see Real Madrid spending a hundred million in the summer for, or in the winter rather, for a striker. I don't see that. So, uh, Jude, um, it, Ivan Tony is available. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a joke about uh, Ivan Tony's quality. That's a joke about. I find it funny if Ivan Tony ended up at Real Madrid, not because I don't think he's good enough, but because I mean Ivan Tony would would fit in quite well at Real Madrid and what they want to do. But I, think he I would. can't. But also, I can't see him there. <laughs> Uh, and that's if, what I'm laughing. But then, like, if I were Perez, how big is how big an upgrade is Tony on Yoshilu? We might as well just leave a it lot. for the... Come for on. The... Come on, man. I don't Be know. Be serious. Like, no, Yoshilu's not bad. He's just not... Like, I'm this, not saying uh, Yoshilu is bad. He's I'm just not Raul or Cristiano or one of those. So, um, either way, I just find it interesting, the dynamics of how how the tactical setup of a team can make one one position or one set of players look worse than they have been, but how that can increase the output from a different position. So again, let's say Bellingham, knock on wood, he mm-hmm. takes a, he gets a knock somewhere. Like the international break comes up, England plays somebody, and he gets he gets he gets a knock and he's out for two, three weeks. And that's two, three, four games of the season. Who knows? Who's who's the midfielder in that position that's gonna come in and score the same goals? That's gonna make the same runs. I don't think they have another player like it. They, so they won't, do, they won't do that. And again, this is Ancelotti. Ancelotti would, would find something else. Mm. You know, Where, did anyone think Camavinga would play this many games at left back? No, no. But there you by go. the way, when when he when he came in, he changed the game. Camavinga, Camavinga at left back, Modric, whatever he can give you still. Yeah. Um, it was good to see. Um, it was a fine classical. Well, I I yeah. just wish it was available to watch in a legal fashion. To those in England. Let's talk about United. Mm-hmm. Um, we were going to do this regardless of, of your appearance today. So, um, actually, let's talk about City. I feel like let's just, let's just talk about the Derby. Talking about United is perhaps two points. You're going to put me in a torture, um, aren't you? Why are you doing this to hmm? me? Nothing. Uh, where would you start out, I guess? I don't even need to really speak, but uh, 
you, the the Manchester derby. Go. <laughs> Coined in the jukebox. <laughs> Manchester City are the current treble winners. One of the best teams in Europe. Oh, the, the current treble winners, they just won the best team award at the Ballon d'Or. They are the favourites to retain the Champions League. They're favourites to win the Premier League. Um, and Manchester United are a long way off that standard. Right? This is this is really concerning if you're a Man United fan. I saw that lineup and went, what's Ten Hag doing? What does he did he forget he bought Mason Mount? Because this is the this is meant to be the this is supposed to be the game that Mount is here for. And, and then you're watching this team going, what is the plan? And you're seeing, I think, a lot of United fans going, what is the plan? A lot of United fans are going, Ten Hag isn't all we cracked up to be. This might be worse than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I can't believe we've got we've got you know another dud manager. Bing bang bang boom. Couple things stood out for me in that game. One, the game plan seemed to be entirely based around. So first half game plan seemed to be four four two diamond. Scott McTominay is the ten, and you're going all right. Weird. <laughs> you spent three hundred thirty million on players in two summer windows, and yet in the biggest game your season against Manchester City at home, your game plan is is centred around getting a player you nearly sold to West Ham to attack the box late. Fine. First half plan actually but wasn't too bad. You know, they went to jump early on the left-hand side, really trouble Julian Alvarez. And um, they were really, they were quite compact when they were off the ball, which is what you want to do. When you're playing against Manchester City, as teams like Brentford have shown, you defend in a really, really compact shape. And when you when you break, you break quickly. The thing is, mm. United, while the compact shape was okay, um, when they broke, they broke with two players. You know, one or two players. When you should be breaking with like four running at pace. And they didn't run at anywhere near enough pace. So that was disappointing. Second half plan, he takes off Amrabat, he puts on Mason Mount, and you're going, all right, you're playing, you're playing Manchester City with no offensive midfielder. Are you okay? Um, so... City, City did what City did. Bernardo Silva was amazing. Rodri was amazing. That's the best I've seen Jack Grealish play this season. And I think mm. Grealish will probably take that starting position back off Doku. Um, I saw Anthony should have get sent off. And honestly, I'm, I've, I've had it up to here with him. Um, ugh, ugh, he just, <laughs> ugh. The, 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 was it handbags? Is that what you guys say? The handbags? Yeah, yeah handbags. Where they were, they were, they were going to fight. Yeah. Or just like incredibly petulant. Doku's playing really good football. So, and he goes past you. So you just petulantly try and hack at Were you him. in the stadium? Were you in the I ground? was in the stadium. I was in the stadium. Did, so then when was Doku's, there, was there a... so Doku stops playing football and wags his finger at Anthony saying, what are you mm. playing at? And then Anthony tries to start beef. Like, no, so my, Anthony, my, you're in the wrong my question here. question would be, was there a positive response to Anthony no. at least showing some level no. of aggression no. relative to the rest of the team or were no. fans sick of him too? Fans are sick of him. I've, multiple mm. United fans have gone, what's the point? Or <laughs> mentioned this fee going, you know, 86 million pound on a wing who isn't quick and can't use his right foot. <laughs> right, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> and that's, what are we doing here is, is the, is the, wider sense of things at Manchester United. You know, Ten Hag gave a, a number of interviews after the game that just provoked more questions rather than give answers. So things are bad. 
things are bad right now. Is a Man United fan. They're playing they Newcastle. Bad. They're playing Newcastle on Wednesday, uh, and then they're playing Fulham on Sunday, and then they're away against Copenhagen, and they they need to win all those games this November. Co- like this hmm. November, Manchester United could be out the League Cup. They could be out the Champions League group stages, and they could be. The worst case scenario is United lose to Newcastle out the League Cup. You lose to Copenhagen or you don't get the results you need against Copenhagen and you're out of the Champions League group stages. And then you continue to have poor form in the Premier League and then you're way out of the Champions League qualification race. Now, Mm. I'm saying this is a worst case scenario, but you're looking at the way Manchester United were playing and there's very little discernible patterns of play. And you're going... Yeah, Manchester United should be beating a team. Manchester United playing Luton on the 11th of November. United should be beating Luton. And yet, if you ask the United fan right now, what's the score against you versus a Luton team that has a fraction of your money? They'll go, eh, might scrape a win. The confidence is very low. Yeah, it just sounds bad, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, man. Oh, yeah, I was going to see if I could come up with something, but nah. It just it doesn't sound great at all. Um, I think well, the only positive news is that Onana did not look bad in the game. He was the best player, honestly. I would say I would player. say so. He made a couple saves where I was just like, like I went wow. And this is off the back of him saving the penalty. So I'm not I'm not a Manchester United fan. Um, mm-hmm. But in the game against Copenhagen, when they got the penalty. And like the last kick of the game virtually. I was like, bro, please save this. <laughs> like it would have been great for narratives for for, for 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 Manchester United to miss out on you know, or just like to crash out of the Champions League. Like that would have been fun, I'm sure, for memes. But I was like, bro, please save this. Cause it, you need this for your United career, for people to feel good about you. Like you need a moment. So please give them a moment. And he came up with the save. I mean, the, the penalty wasn't that great. From, I think, Larson's son, if I have it right. It was Henrik Larson's um, son. Yep. Yeah. Um, whose first name I don't know. He's just Henrik Larson's son. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like I was like, cool. So he has a moment. And then I, he carried at least some of that um, good feeling, I suppose. Like the save on Haaland, the first one where Haaland tries to head it, I think, yep. down and across. And he got it wrong. And Onana was just there. I was like, whoa, like he got it. Um, but there was just there were too many chances from City for for any keeper really to to have a chance to to stop them going in. So <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, when you have Maguire and Johnny Evans as your center, starting center back partnership, I'm not expecting much from the game, honestly. So mm-hmm. it's 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 one of those things of like, yeah, they spent a lot of money. But if you consider Varane out, Martinez out, Shaw out, Wamba, like their your preferred starting back four is not is not playing. What what should we be expecting against Manchester now, City? A, a win? Now, 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 Rafa Varane was on the bench, and Tenag was asked why did, why is Rafa Varane on the bench, and Tenag said it was tactical reasons. <laughs> Well, damn. Well, I don't. I don't know. Now, he went on to explain it. He went on to explain it, saying if you played Harry Maguire left centre back and Rafa Varane right centre back, then you just have to kick it long because City's press is so aggressive. Now, and he says he truly believes Maguire's better at a right centre back. 
So he need he wanted a left centre back to come in, and, and the best left centre back or someone capable of playing the ball is thirty five year old Johnny Evans, who was signed. Is he thirty five? Let me double check this. He... Yeah, 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 yeah. 35. 35, th- 35 year old. You know, and the best choice at left centre back at the moment is 35 year old Johnny. He's going to be 36. Is is 35 year old Johnny Evans. You, you signed a short term contract. You signed a short term contract during preseason and was being paid minimum wage before he signed a proper contract before the season he started. He was just there to train, right? He was just, he was there, just there to train. Just he was to on stay minimum because maybe he might minimum, go to a championship club. And, he was on minimum wow. wage, right? He was on less than £10 an hour. It was basically on £10.40 an hour to train at Manchester United. And the idea was he was going to be uh, a good influence to the academy children as he was training. And then injury crisis happened. He stays. And then on top of that, injury crisis exacerbates and Manchester United's in-possession plan against Manchester City in one of the (laughs) The biggest games of the season is play the ball through Johnny Evans more than anyone else. Now, is that that's not Johnny Evans? To his credit, to his credit. That's not Johnny Evans' I do remember one moment. I I do remember one moment where he, he was under pressure and he gave a little shimmy with the ball one way, took it back to the corner flag, I think, and then was able to get rid of it. Um, with his left, I'm sure of it. But um, that being said, if the tactical plan doesn't include Varane, yeah. what are the tactics you're employing? That's my question. And That's then, a very, very good question. And this is a point I've wondered about for like the last three, four years. I'm wondering as somebody who's observing this person for three, four months, do you have an idea? The, the functionality of Mason Mount is blank. Like, what does he do for this team? I that that's a really good question that I'm gonna spend a lot of November trying to find out. <laughs> that, that that's all I can say. That all I can say right now. And I guess I'm, he's been I, injured, so maybe that's not I a fair question am, right now. I am genuinely baffled why you would spend fifty-five million plus an extra five million if certain conditions are met on Mason Mount. Why you would spend so much time calling him a dynamic player, calling him a complete midfielder. If in a game such as this, you don't start him. And it's not that this is the one-off game that he didn't start him. He's not started in a number of games. And this is another problem in that Ten Hag hasn't been the best communicator recently. He, he, he's got a very circuitous way of speaking, um, even at the best of times. And when he does give explanations, sometimes they don't quite add up and you can't quite tell, are you doing this because you don't want me, you don't want to explain it? Or are you doing this because you're poorly explaining what you're trying to do? Hmm. One, is there any positive silver lining like Hoyland maybe or? Hoyland, Hoyland is good. And, and it really looks as if Hoyland will be a player. Um, I'm, you know, I'm watching PSG games. I'm watching Randall Colo Moani. I'm watching Gong Jalo Ramos. And they're being fine. And I'm saying I, I'm at this point in time happier to have Hoyland. The problem is Hoyland has a back issue and can't play 90 minutes. Or mm. it, it's unknown how whether or not he can play 90 minutes. So Ten Hag has keeps taking him off. Um, is this like a is this a chronic thing? Or is this something a, that just he has a back issue? Up. He has a back issue. He sustained a back injury in preseason when he was at Atalanta. So when he signed for United, he was injured. Right? 
Um, now you go, why did Manchester United spend 70 million on a player with nine Serie A goals who was injured when they could have got someone else? Um, that's a far more complicated question. Um, Ooh, but and Carl, I think Carl, Carl, we, we haven't talked since the ownership thing. <laughs> What's going on with that? Are we, are we just doing, we're just doing, we're just doing a Man United podcast today, huh? <laughs> last thing, last thing. I thought the last thing was the last thing, but this is the last thing. Okay. What's up with the owners? Well, one, so one, thing, just... one thing we'll talk about quickly is I'll say um, uh, when Hoyland, so Hoyland was taken off in the 70-something minute. And one thing I'll say is um, when Hoyland was taken off, uh, he got booed, Ten Hag got booed because United fans were going, you're 2-0 down and you've just taken off your best chance of a goal. Hoyland still hasn't scored a Premier League goal yet. He's got a three in the Champions League. And United fans are getting annoyed because they they want to see more of Hoyland. They, they want him to play. Ten Hag keeps saying, I have to take him off because I have to keep him fit I have to make sure he doesn't get injured I have to you know I have to keep him tip top because if he doesn't if he gets injured then the only other striker number nine is is Marshall and Marshall can't sprint anymore which which says a lot right you've you've got one of the most expensive squads in world football and you've only got one number nine you can sprint Damn. now ownership situation ask your question again please no, no. I, do you think I want to talk about Chelsea? Like this is before. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Right my, into your my, yes, my question was just more because we haven't spoken since I don't know. It's maybe been a month or two, like on wax. So um, there was a bid from the Qataris that fell through, and to my knowledge, Radcliffe's group is going to be purchasing Manchester United in installments. Or at least there's a road to that. So is that basically the the narrative? So uh, I'd say towards the middle of September, it became more likely that a bid for from Sir Jim Radcliffe and Ineos, or no, so let me let me rephrase that. A bid from Sir Jim Radcliffe, who is in charge of Ineos. Who is also the owner of Nice in France? Who is also in charge of? He also owns a, a cycling team. Um, so Jim Radcliffe has made a bid for twenty five percent of Manchester United in a deal that is worth, depending on who you talk to, one point three or one point eight billion. Ooh. Now this bid for twenty five million for twenty five this bid for twenty five percent of the club um, comes with the roadmap like you said, is a good way of describing it, roadmap to eventually take over 100% of the club sometime down the line. We also, it's become, as reported on The Athletic, as reported on a number of outlets, has become clear that in this 20, in wanting 25% of Manchester United, so Jim Radcliffe has made it clear he wants control of the footballing side of Manchester United as well. And it appears as if the Glazer family are amenable to that proposition mm. now this is a fun question that was posed by adam crafton if you're in if you're in charge of a if you own 75 percent of a football club but you're letting someone else run the footballing side of it what does that mean about what does that say about you as an owner you're just here for the money thank you okay thank you very much for answering that question oh um, what? was that not rhetorical sorry no it, no, it was a rhetorical <laughs> one and because you're based in north america you can't get sued for saying that. 
it would seem as if money is your go. primary interest. There, there you go. There we go. You have to say allegedly, fam. <laughs> so, so that that that's that. Um, now I've heard. You know, I've had many questions from different outlets across the world. Can you come in? When's this still going to be approved? When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Is this going to be such a reckless first game? And we don't, we don't know. As as Andy Mitten from United We Stand says, the Glazers do are known for doing things at a glacial pace. Things will happen on the Glazers' timescale because the Glazers are interested in the Glazers and they're not so much interested in Manchester United. Um, so I'm. it is pretty likely that at some point... So Jim Radcliffe will own 25% of Manchester United and might have a say on the footballing infrastructure of the football club. That's a weird sentence. Sorry about that. Uh, when that happened, I, I don't know. You know who? Okay. It's bad for United. It's very bad. It's very, very bad. It's very bad. We've discussed. But you know who's also bad for? Chelsea Football Club. I was going to say Ajax, but okay. <laughs> what? Okay, now you you can ask me Chelsea questions. So, and I watched this. I watched this Brentford game. Mm-hmm. They didn't look that bad, but also I don't I don't understand I don't see how you score goals. I, I I need to look at the lineup. I need to remind myself. I think I've watched too much football this week, and this is the first game. So. <laughs> I'm looking at the team. <laughs> so okay, this this is okay. No, okay. The the, the major so have problem. Have you got the lineup in front of you? Have you got the lineup in front yes. of you? Yes, yes. Do, okay, do you want me so to read it? Start, don't 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 read it out for me. I'm gonna just. All right. So my friend Ryan Hun from the Stadio podcast plays this game now, where he goes Chelsea played a game of Premier League football. Guess the back four. Okay. And the no I, the idea guess. is the idea is. Because they chop and change so much, it's very hard to. So I'm gonna say, and and this is a game I watched. I watched this. Okay, Marco Kukureya played left back. Ding, 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 ding. Axel played left centre back. No. Oh. Uh All right. Thiago Silva was also playing. Yes. I'm gonna say Thiago Silva right centre back. Correct. I'm gonna say, Colwell left centre back. There you go. And then Malo Gusto right back. No. Oh, <laughs> oh Gusto's still suspended, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who was your right back? This was going to be part of the problem that I was going to deduce here in a second. It was DeSassi. Oh, okay. Okay. There you so, go. So, basically, the right-hand side was non-existent against Brentford. So even though it looked good, most of the attacking came from Kukurea, Caicedo, and Sterling sides, and and Palmer would sometimes drift to create an overload. But on the other side, you have Madueke, who's playing, maybe this is his first start of the season. Mm-hmm. He's being supported, in air quotes, by DeSassi, who's <sighs> allergic to crossing the halfway line. Supported in and then Conor Gallagher is your center mid on that side. So not uh-huh. the not the most creative, and if you're Palmer, naturally you're going to go to where the better footballers are, which is on the left. Um, Jackson, <laughs> Jackson is he's raw, not in a footballing sense, but in like a striking sense. So there mm-hmm. are there are times and there are things that he does during the game where I'm like, there's a good footballer there, 
like his technique, his vision, his eye for like back heels and spatial awareness is decent. But the striking instincts of being in the right place at the right time, which center back to pick on, um, which run to make, which channel to choose, staying onside, is Sterling going to go for, is he going to cut it back or is he going to put it, is he going to flash it across? There are just little things where you're like, these could be polished. The problem is Chelsea don't have time really and never have had time for a striker to polish themselves in the team. Mm-hmm. They buy finished articles. Now, perhaps this has changed um, with the new directive of Clear Lake. But when you think of Chelsea's last two, three great strikers, I, I can't put Giroud in there, but I'll put him in there. So four. Giroud, senior, polished, mm-hmm. done product. Diego Costa, senior, polished, finished product. Drogba came at 26. Great season at Marseille. Senior, polished, finished product, damn near. And then the one before, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Senior, polished. Like, that's the trajectory of what you're trying to... Even, I'll throw a Nelk in there. Very Uh polished, very seasoned. That's Chelsea's DNA, is to go for... But DNA has changed. It doesn't even mean the same thing anymore when you have a new ownership group. Which I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, which I'm sure you'll be exposed to quite soon, yeah. but, 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 but what Chelsea have been are not what they are. So this, this creates a problem. I think, especially in the fan base, and people who are used to watching a particular thing, it's like, well, we don't have time to see if Jackson can be good. We don't have time to see if you, you name it, can be good. We need somebody now. So this creates a problem because there, there's, there's a player there in Jackson. But when you correctly deduce that goal scoring is a problem, the fans, and I think rightly so, will want somebody that we need somebody to finish at any little scrap of a chance. They have to be able to finish it. Any little opening, you need to finish it. Because if you don't, we're not going to create anything else for the next 20, 30 minutes. So, and Jackson isn't that type of player. He's more a player that will help you create a goal at the moment rather than he's, he, he will help you write the sentence, but he's not the period or the punctuation mm-hmm. on it. This then puts a lot of pressure on the impending return of Nkuku, who people seem to think is <laughs> going to have some Jude Bellingham like revelation and he's Jesus Christ's second coming and he's going to be scoring a goal a game. I don't know if that's the type of player Unkunku is because I feel like he's another one who's going to want to play football, not necessarily be the punctuation. So um, is Nkuku going to so, be your 10 or is Nkuku going to be your number nine I, now? I think they're going to play him as a number nine because okay. Palmer has has taken over 10. The interesting thing about Palmer, very, very and, nice. and, and, and this is something that I wanted to talk with Half Hope about, is Palmer that good or have we just been so deprived of an actual footballer in that position that Palmer <laughs> looks like he's good? This is this um, is something that this just 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 quickly. This is something that I think Chilwell benefited from. Chelsea fans were so used to watching Marcus Alonso run in mud that anybody <laughs> who was a bit quick and, and could actually defend their position, <sighs> Chilwell is like a he was he's the, he was the next coming of Ashley Cole. I wonder <laughs> if if you get used to watching Mason Mount and Havertz in that position, somebody who can actually see a through ball and do a step over. Oh wow! Let's give him the keys to the kingdom. Let's give him the keys to the kingdom. But that Mason Mount line that hurt me. <laughs> ju- jury's out. Jury's out on Cole Palmer. I don't know. 
personally. Like he's good, I'll, and I think he's a, he's a squad player. But I don't know if you good. can just. He, I, he, I don't think he's he good is enough good. to and drive I, I, a team. Again, I, I watched that Brentford game, and he has that you know close control dribbling, and he has that thing where it looks like he's gliding across the pitch. Now, many many great football players look like they glide across the field. So it becomes very easy to say, oh, he glides, therefore he must be great. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if Cole is going to be great, but he definitely has the glide. And he was 45 for million. For sure, for sure, for sure. Like for, he, he, Now for 45 I, million for a homegrown... It's a good purchase. It's a good purchase. Yes. Now, I don't... Th- I don't. The, the plan should be Cole Palmer doesn't have to be your best player. The plan should just be mm-hmm. he is a very top-end facilitator for others. Now, those others should be Nkuku. They should be uh, Kaiseido and Enzo behind you. They should be... Whoever Sterling. you want to play on the Sterling, if you want to play Sterling on the left, and you want to put one more on the right hand side, I, I, I'm looking at Chelsea going. This should be more fun, right? It should be. It should be. But do you have fun in a process? Like, is yeah. the process like, fun? <laughs> No, let me let me redo that. This should be fun. Now that is, I think that's weird for a Chelsea group fan base that has been weaned on. It's fun because you're winning loads of trophies, and it's not fun because mm-hmm. you're not winning trophies. How do you find that's that bit rope. where you're not winning trophies but it's still fun? That doesn't exist in West London, at least the blue part. That doesn't yeah, exist there. It, 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 the it, it, perhaps it exists in Brentford, maybe Fulham, but not Chelsea. Like fun, the fun is winning. The fun isn't watching players like for me it's fun in in some instances seeing things that like what Jackson are doing Mudrick's doing it's funny actually mm-hmm. and sometimes like not not satirical but like uh Schoenfrade like fun from the miseries of fun from the miseries of from the misery of others fuck um but I don't think for the Chelsea fan base for the last 20 years that's been accustomed to winning and we derive our meaning and our identity from lifting trophies Losing to Brentford, no matter how fun it should be and could be and sometimes is, like Sanchez chasing Maupay, I think, that was fun. (laughs) Like him not being able to tackle him, that was fun. But not within the context of Chelsea are a team that's built to win. But it's as I said, it's a completely different DNA that's happening at the moment. So we can leave England there. Arsenal, shout out Arsenal, shout out Tottenham, shout out Liverpool. We'll come back next week. Look, look, um, we are, we are, look, we're more than a quarter of the Premier League season done. Everyone's played 10 games and, and the Premier League table looks like, this is the sound of me typing, bah, 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 top of the table Spurs. Tottenham top. Yeah. Tottenham top on 20. I want to say 26. 24? I want to say 24. This is off the top of my head. Sorry, the, my computer is on its last legs. I need. I simply need to buy a new one. <clears throat> M, do you know what? M3 just got released last night. 26, you were correct. 26 points. 26, 26 points for Tottenham. Uh, Arsenal second, 24. Man City set third with 24. Liverpool fourth, 23. Villa are fifth, 22. Aston Villa's got a very favourable run of fixtures coming up. Uh, Newcastle are sixth, 17. <laughs> followed by Brian on 17, and there's Manchester United on 15 points and 8th. West Ham, 14 points. Brentford, 13 points. And Chelsea have 12 points on the 11th. Very, very quick question here, Dan. 
Top five is Spurs, Arsenal, Man City, Liverpool, Aston Villa. Is anyone going to break into that top five come the end of the season? The only question mark is Villa. Like, can Unai Emery sustain whatever they're they're doing there? I mm-hmm. I saw a graphic the other day that said, um, since Unai Emery has been in the Premier League, Aston Villa are fourth in that league table. Yep, I think they played thirty six games or somewhere along that somewhere there and they're fourth. So whatever he's doing with, you know, Ollie Watkins and Matty Cash and all those dudes, like it must be working to an extent. Um, but I do think I, I say that Newcastle, maybe the champions league is a bit too, it's a bridge too far for them to compete on that many fronts. Um, Manchester United are Manchester United. So they could get into a, a winning run, basically at any time because they have the talent in their team. It's just, will it ever click? Brighton, ah. So, you know what? I, I think that top five will stay the top five. But okay. I don't think it'll – It I think it will fluctuate within yep. the course of the season. But by the end, those will be the five. Before the, before the season started, I said City top, Arsenal second, Liverpool third. I said a gap between Liverpool and Arsenal be really, really thin. I said Manchester United fourth, and I said Chelsea fifth. I'm now gonna. I'm now going to give you a rebooted one, which is Manchester City one, Arsenal two, Liverpool uh-huh. three, Spurs four, damn, Villa fifth, and Newcastle in sixth. Uh, look, it, it, it's, it, it's it's a great time to be a Spurs fan. However, I think goals are a problem, and Richarlison. While I like him a lot, I don't think he's he's on the same level as Son uh, and Madison, which is a shame. Yeah. Um, one, th- well, I mean, one fun thing if you're a Spurs fan is you know at a time when everyone's spending loads of money on defensive midfielders, you've got Bentacore and you've got Basuma, so you should be pretty sweet there. Um, Arsenal are good I don't think they're going to regress I think Declan Rice is phenomenal and I think the Kai Havertz experiment is being quietly shuffled so that's fine City is City fantastic Liverpool are going to be the great entertainers and great goal scorers in the league so there you have it and I think Aston Villa as long as Ollie Watkins stays fit they should have a little bit more than Newcastle last thing mm-hmm. I mean I, I did watch I watched two Serie A games I watched Napoli against Milan What's and I game? watched Roma against Inter. So I watched those. Uh-huh. Um, but but in the time we have left, I think we should probably talk about Ajax. Sure. So again, I watched PSV. Mm-hmm. Um, they were up 1-0. They had a chance to go up 2-0 with Broby. He misses 2-0. PSV then score, I want to say they score 2-1. And then, two, was it 2-2? or Because Broby scored one somewhere in there. Yeah, so it, no, it, it went, was one one, then it went to two one, and then it devolved yep. from there. Yep. So, um, I guess do they have you traveling back and forth to <laughs> Netherlands these days? Can't afford it at the moment, but um, I'm I've got I'm talking to you right now. I've got my laptop. I'm talking to you, and then behind I've got my desktop screen, and I've got some ice games queued up to watch, and they're bad. They're really bad. Opta did a fantastic piece. Opta analyst did a fantastic piece on the 27th saying Ajax are in 17th place, but their underlying numbers suggest they should be 18th place. Bear in mind the Eredivisie is 18 teams. No, so, they, they're 18th, bro. And, and, then they lost, and now they lost the PSV, so then they went to 18th. 
Um, they're playing midweek. Oh, they're playing midweek? 2nd of November. They're playing against uh, a team beginning with V. My apologies. Um, which is the team above them in 17th. <laughs> so they might they might get out of the relegation Voldendam. zone. Voldenham. Thank you. Yes. Voldendam. Now Voldendam. they might they might get out of the, the relegation zone by the next time I appear on this podcast. How do you say the next one, Carl? So it's like not... November fifth, they play a club named H. Herendevin. Oh, Herendevin. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You you got it. You got it. <laughs> you don't sound confident. <laughs> you got it. You got it. You got it, bro. You got it, bro. Um, what an and, ugly and my you know, Maurice, Maurice Stein got sacked after the defeat against FC Utrecht. So that, the Utrecht game was phenomenal. Um, compliment and derogatory. They they went 2-0 up away from home against Utrecht. No, they went 2-0 down against FC Utrecht away from home. Fought, scratched and clawed their way and got to 3-2. Then Utrecht equalized to make it 3-3. Then fans threw loads of cups and whatever to temporarily pause the game, which is something that's happening a lot in Dutch football at the moment. When that um, there is a new ruling that if, if fan trouble goes on for too much, the game can be suspended and possibly abandoned. That so happened against Feyenoord, right? This happened against Feyenoord. Yeah. Um, and it's happened, it happened after another game where I think David Klassen got... It happened in a game last season where David Klassen got struck in the back of the head with a lighter. Um, so you, you, games can get suspended, if not abandoned, due to fan trouble. And now you're getting to this weird, weird unfortunate point where Ajax fans are getting so angry at the fact their team is doing so badly. They're going, let's just get this game abandoned and throw stuff on the field. <laughs> So it's, it's, it's you know, the game gets temporarily suspended at three three because loads of fans are throwing plastic cups no. in the field, get suspended, and then they bring the game back and then Utrecht score a winner to make it four three and you're just like this is bad. Um, from I mean very very quickly why are they bad? Um, they are playing football in right angles. So <laughs> does that make sense if I say that? It's too straight. Is that what you mean? It's, it's you know a player gets into possession and he has two options in when that's pass in right angles, pass sideways or pass down the line in front of mm. you. Um, and and they're, unfortunately they're trying to play in the IX way, but uh, the players they currently have aren't. I mean their centre backs in particular aren't uh, the most comfortable in possession. Which mm. can yeah. I ask a question that maybe you don't have an answer to? Sure. Is does this stem? From Van der Sar and his injury, no, or his sick. Okay, okay, no. okay. So, so, uh, so I did a previous piece on the Athletic with Simon Hughes. You can read that now. Uh, and the 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 big the big 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 problem was, um, so Mark Overmars was sacked, uh, just over just on the two years ago. So he was the director of football, and he was sacked for sexual misconduct. He. Mm-hmm. He he was uh, essentially taking photographs of his genitalia and sending them to members of staff, and yeah. among other things. Uh, so Van der Sar sacked him, but didn't hire a replacement for something like just over a year. Um, mm-hmm. So Overmars's job gets compartmentalized, compartmentalized, gets split between a number of people, including Klaas Jan Huntelaar and Jerry Hamstra. Um, these individuals are. So in the initial months where Overmars is gone, Alex fans are going, oh man, it should have been Overmars. Oh, you know, Overmars, Overmars was the key because Overmars also enabled Ten Hag to do stuff 
and Overmars was a genius. And what has become known now is that Overmars left no hand over notes, right? There is no, basically Overmars was running the football club from his mobile phone and via WhatsApp. If Overmars wanted to buy a player, he'd text them. If Overmars wanted to, to, to make the deal done, he'd go via WhatsApp and then, and then text them the number. And it was all done via WhatsApp. So when he was removed, there's just no notes. <laughs> so, so they have these 50 months with, with, with no director of football. Then they eventually hire in Sven Mistletap, who used to be, work at Arsenal. Um, mm. On the Dortmund as well, and Dortmund as well. Now, Mr. Yeah. did the big thing of saying we are going to modernize Ajax. Uh, we're going to be data led. We're going to hire new modern jobs uh, and be more about data. Uh, and we're going to make a big thing on on bringing in. We're going to lower the wage bill, make the team younger again, and then we'll go again. So twelve players came in. Uh, twelve players came in, and I want to say maybe close to ten, maybe eleven players got sold. Uh, so. I'd say 150 million was raised in player sales, but also those departures are the likes of Dusan Tadic, who went on a free. He was your club captain. Mohamed Kudus went off to West Ham. He's mm. your best attacking player. So they lost loads of they lost loads of quality, and the players they did bring in were all either really really young or statistical favourites. You know, guys mm-hmm. who do really good in FM. Um, so you, and then on top of that, <laughs> and then on top of that. Uh, Mistletat hired Maurice Stein, who got Asparta Rotterdam from to their best league finish last season in 27 years. So and he's he's our new manager. He comes out really good in the data. So it's a really, really young team with a manager who has no like real links to Ajax. And then this is what you have. And we're talking right now at a time where, I mean, Ajax are bottom. Lyon are bottom of... Derry I was well. going to say, like, Lyon Marseille... Got called off because someone dashed the Marseille. The team coach. The, yeah, the Marseille ultras threw a brick, mm-hmm. and then it's they threw a brick, broke a window, yep. hit Fabio Grosso, whose face yep. was bloodied, and then because the window was broken, they were able to throw more things inside yep. the bus. So Leon, uh, Leon are also a mess, uh, and, yeah. I, and I, as I found out today, FC Basel, FC Bar, depending on on your pronunciation, really. They they are they are bottom of the Swiss table. Oh man! Uh, they scored no they scored no goals in the month of October. So there's no goal a month competition there. Wow, what a depressing episode. Except for Jude Bellingham and I guess Messi, if you care about that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Chelsea, Chelsea are bad. United are bad. Ajax are bad. Basel's bad. Lyon's bad. Everybody's bad. What's going on? <sighs> Our childhood is being eroded. Pretty much um, all the teams that were good when we were kids are no longer firing. Although Arsenal, Arsenal. hmm. Anyway, I need to go. So this has been the Talking Tactics Podcast. (laughs) We do this every Tuesday. You guys hear it on Wednesday, whatever. I'm Daniel. Carl, where where can people find your work? You can find my work over at The Athletic. You can find my videos on TIFO IRL as well. Yeah. Talking Tactics Podcast. Sometimes funny, sometimes serious. Always football. We tried. See you guys next week. Peace. Peace. Sports Social Podcast Network.